Well, for the past few weeks, uh, we have been looking at a sermon series entitled Follow the Leader. And uh, you may recall Pastor Kevin uh, touching on that childhood game, Follow the Leader, that we played as kids. And and I have to confess that um, I may have been the bossy girl that he was talking about who loved to tell people what to do. That may be true. So uh, being the bossy girl that I am, uh, I am excited to take you on a journey with me today to a little town called Magdala. Back in February of the year 2016, I had the unique opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus by going on a trip uh, with two of my female seminary professors and many of my colleagues and friends at Calvin Seminary to Israel. And probably the most profound experience of that trip for me was visiting a chapel called Duke and Altum in the city of Magdala. Now Magdala is located right on the Sea of Galilee. You can see it in this picture here in the background. So this building, Duke and Altum, is dedicated to the public life of Jesus, his transforming encounters, and then it also honors uh, the women of the Bible and all women of faith uh, through its women's atrium. And Duke and Altum draws its name from Luke 5, verse 4, where Jesus instructs Simon Peter to launch into the deep or put out into deep water. So with this view of the Sea of Galilee and and this unique boat-shaped altar, uh, the upstairs chapel that you see here commemorates Jesus' preaching from a boat. And then next, I'd like to share with you a picture uh, of the women in our group uh, in the women's atrium. There is uh, eight pillars like this in this atrium, atrium, uh, and seven of them represent women in the Bible who followed Jesus. Uh, One of the pillars honors Mary Magdalene, who came from the city of Magdala. And then this eighth pillar that you see here honors women of faith across all time. And all of this was, it was very stunning and moving But actually, uh, uh, you know, I would say too that it was, you know, especially as a woman in ministry, um, there was a lot of wonderful, amazing experiences to have here. But the real treasure of this site was actually in the basement in a room called the Encounter Chapel. Now, the floor of the Encounter Chapel that you see here is actually part of the original first century marketplace of this Magdala port. And for our text today, it's important to note that a port marketplace is about as busy a spot in any town that you can imagine. It's kind of like uh, a metro station or an airport in our terms, where people without any discrimination rub shoulders. And then given the evidence for fish processing discovered on this site, it's most logical that fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they would have gravitated to Magdala's port. It's a place probably not unfamiliar to Jesus' fishermen disciples. So Jesus' ease at sitting in his disciples' boats and mingling with large crowds help us to, that kind of helps us to imagine uh, many people encountering him in this marketplace, just as he would have engaged the workers and the traders 2,000 years ago. 
And then here in the encounter room, there is this life-size painting on the wall, and it's called The Encounter, which highlights the hemorrhaging woman in the text we're going to read today. So I'd like you to focus on this painting as I read through our text from Luke 8, verses 40 through 56. Luke 8, 40 through 56. So you can just kind of focus on this as we read. Starting at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Well, today I would like to ask you to think about the word believe. Uh, this is the time of year when we start to get a little more um, sedentary in our lives, and advertisers everywhere are asking us to believe as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we wonder how we're going to stay healthy with all of this great food staring us in the face. And there is this psychology-based app out there called Noom, uh, which focuses on your behaviors. And basically, the program starts out by saying that the most important thing in becoming a healthy person is first to believe. Believe that you can change. Believe. It's a really big word. You may have received uh, the Meyer Christmas gift circular in the mail a while ago. 
It looks nothing like the old JCPenney Christmas toy catalog, but, but it definitely encourages the imagination of a child. And in this flyer, you can see here in really tiny letters under the word Meyer, there is just one word, and it is the word believe. Simply believe. Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines faith as being confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Or the message's definition of, definition of faith or belief is the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The firm foundation that makes everything, makes life worth living, our handle on what we can't see. Believe. Let's unpack this text to see where the simple word believe changes everything. In this double story that we have here today, we see an uncontrollable crowd crushing around Jesus. For a point of comparison, imagine people spilling out of a football game or a concert where everyone wants to be in the mosh pit. My understanding is that didn't go well at one this past week. Think of shoppers getting ready to enter Walmart on Black Friday. You get the idea. But let's say that you're in the crowd with Jesus that day, and you're a bit nervous that you might lose your balance and get trampled over, but you are determined to be close to Jesus. And then suddenly he reels around and he asks a question. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, you've got to be kidding, right? Like everyone is touching you, master. What part of this is a crowd did you miss? But Jesus is insistent. I want to know who touched me. I felt power go out from me. I mean, we have Jairus, the synagogue leader, who he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal his daughter. But the woman whose name we aren't even given, she couldn't even do that. She is well aware of her place in society. A poor, isolated, and unclean woman did not consider herself worthy of the attention of the master. Because you see, if she asked him for help, she would make him unclean. And how embarrassing it would be to share her medical history with him in the midst of this mosh pit crushing in around them. It took every bit of courage within her to reach out and to touch the hem of his clothing. But you see, this woman, she did have one thing. She believed. And within that simple belief, she was healed. She didn't make Jesus unclean, but rather he made her well. But her belief in healing that she felt go through her, that quickly crumbles when he asks the question, who touched me? She tries to leave swiftly without really being noticed, but she realizes she can't get away with this. And so with trembling feet, she confesses to him and to the crowd that it was her. 
And then she hears the sweet words that she never dared to believe would come to her ears. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Do you see the overwhelming mercy of our Lord here? This woman, she never said a word to Jesus. She was most likely too afraid and too humble to do such a thing. But she did what she could. She believed and she received healing. Jesus knew all along who had touched him, but he allowed her to confess her faith. And also for those in that crushing crowd to see that the Lord's mercy covers her as well in just a simple touch mixed with belief. His mercy overcomes the uncleanness and the misery of this woman who comes in humble repentance. And there's a comparison to be made here. You know, Jairus comes in a very different manner. He openly approaches Jesus and he asks for his heal healing for his daughter who is dying. And then his faith is put to the test. The girl dies, but then Jesus reassures her, reassures him that she is only sleeping. And he tells Jairus, the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. One scholar says that Jesus says to this to him before Jairus can tell him essentially, you know, I don't need you anymore. She's dead. And we expected you to heal her, which might have been on his mind because, you see, he was not a believer in Jesus. How do we know that he wasn't a believer? Well, it's the reason that Jesus says to him, just believe. If Jairus had been a man of faith, it wouldn't have been necessary to say that to him. Indeed, he didn't have to say that to the woman who had just been healed. He instead said to her, your faith has made you well. So Jesus has to tell Jairus to have faith because essentially he didn't. We can look at these two interwoven healings, one a woman with a 12-year flow of blood and one, a 12-year-old girl whose father begs Jesus to heal her. One, a woman whose only hope is to sneak up behind Jesus in a crowd and to touch the fringe of his robe. The second, a prominent religious man who publicly begs Jesus but lacks any faith. So I wonder today, have you ever approached Jesus like this woman? with just enough faith to reach out to him in prayer? Have you ever experienced faith-faltering moments? What fears have kept you from going to the Savior? Not able to come in boldness like the synagogue leader, but rather as the bleeding woman. You know, there are many other ways that we try to enter the kingdom of heaven. We knock on wood. We speak of karma and God repaying evil for evil and good for good, believing that our deeds, they must count for something. Oftentimes believing that there must be a roundabout road to heaven. The late emperor of Russia, when the railway was to be made between Moscow and St. Petersburg, he employed a great number of engineers in making plans 
He looked over many of their maps, and at last, like the practical man that he was, he said, here, bring me a ruler. So they brought him a ruler, and he took a pencil, and drawing a straight line, he said, this is the way to engineer it. We want no other way than one straight line. There are a great many of ways of engineering souls to heaven, but there is only one that is worth considering, and it is this. It is simply drawing a straight line to Christ at once. During my time in seminary, I remember taking a test on the Reformed Confessions and being asked a question about what does it mean to be Reformed? And my response was something like this. You know, many people point to a favorite verse in Philippians 4, verse 13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But oftentimes the problem with this verse is that we put too much emphasis on the word I and the four words that come after it. And it may be more helpful for us to look a few chapters earlier to Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because in this verse, there is no I, but rather it is entirely by the work of Christ that a soul is saved it is all Christ and nothing but confidence, faith, and belief in him that brings us to completion on the day when he returns. Notice how the two people in our gospel today approach Jesus with their desire for healing. The woman with the flow of blood, she closely follows behind Jesus and approaches him secretly, but with her faith engaged. Jairus approaches Jesus very publicly, yet without any faith. They both wanted the same thing from him, but only one was a believer. Only one reached out with faith toward the healer. It is not enough only to want something from God. We have to love and trust and believe in him as our master and as our savior. Our hearts have to be in it. And our mission in following the leader is to act with faith. Simply believe. You know, many people brushed up against Jesus during his ministry here on earth. Many followed him and many touched him. Yet we're only told that this woman received healing when she touched him. One commentary beautifully illustrates this and says, like a man who brings his eye close to a bright light or brings a dry stick close to fire, and they re immediately react, so also the woman, she brought her faith close to him who has power to heal, and immediately she obtained healing. He then says a little bit later that she first touched the Lord with her faith, and only then did she touch him bodily. The woman in this story, she offers a moving picture of prayer. Prayer mixed with desperation and shame. Prayer that has just enough courage to reach out to the Lord. Prayer that indeed touches the heart 
of Jesus. The woman represented in this chapel, she was looking for healing, and she found it when she touched the hem of Jesus' robe. What a miraculous and life-changing encounter. So I wonder today, if you were to enter the encounter room and, and to stand on the stones of the marketplace where Jesus walked, how would this personal encounter with the historical and spiritual presence of Christ change, change you when you touch his robe? What is it in your life that you think he would have no interest in healing? What fears, anxieties, worries, or cares haven't you given over to him? Do you really trust God with your kids? No, I mean like really, truly trust God with your kids. Have you handed over your troubles at work to the Lord? What is it that nags you in the back of your mind that you are supposed to be doing in your life, but you are too afraid to take the leap of faith? What are those things in your life that you believe God has no interest in healing? What broken relationships seem beyond repair, especially for Thanksgiving and for Christmas this year? What do you feel like you can't trust him with? What keeps you awake at night? Do you truly desire healing? At different times in our lives, we can all identify with this hemorrhaging woman. Perhaps we have a long-term struggle or a weakness or a cross that we have borne for years. Perhaps we wrestle with some deep embarrassment or humiliation in our lives that we are too afraid to acknowledge even to God, let alone other people. Maybe we have done or suffered something that makes us feel unclean or unworthy in our relationships. Maybe we can't find the words to express our pain, even to God in prayer, much less to others. We may feel cut off from the Lord and separated from family and friends. And if that's the case, we should follow this woman's example of touching, simply touching the hem of his garment, of reaching out to Christ for mercy, healing, strength, and forgiveness as best we can. He will not embarrass us. He won't send us away. Instead, he will respond graciously, as he always did, to humble and sincere people who came to him with faith and love and repentance. We won't make him unclean. Instead, he will make us his beloved sons and his beloved daughters. It doesn't mean that every sickness will be cured. All broken relationships will be restored and that we will simply just get what we want. It will mean, however, that our weakness will become opportunities to die to the misery that comes from self-centered perspectives that we relate to God and other people only in terms of what we achieve, earn, or deserve. It will mean that if we only have the faith to touch the hem of his garment, Christ will enable us to grow in the humble trust of sons and daughters for their heavenly father. 
when we ask the Holy Spirit to touch every nook and every cranny of our lives, we open ourselves up to him, doing more than we ever believed possible in and through us. It will mean that he will grant us the strength to see that literally nothing other than our own refusal can keep us from knowing the holy joy of his beloved children. As the woman healed from the flow of blood demonstrates, his healing mercy calls us to die to our pride, our shame, and our self-reliance. That is how we too will find healing for the deepest pain of our lives. The touch of the bleeding woman gives us an image of what it literally means to follow the leader and to experience the complete healing that comes in faith. Like the emperor of Russia with his ruler and his pencil, it is quite simple. You may come to him straight away as you are. Come needy and guilty. Come loathsome and hair. You can't come too filthy. Come just as you are. Draw a straight line. Remember that a straight line from your lost condition to Christ. And let your resolve be... I, being lost, trust Jesus to save me, and I am saved. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Lord Jesus, how thankful we are for the privilege of prayer. How amazing that you are willing to listen to us, to pay attention to our thoughts and needs and even to respond with mercy when we cry out to you. Thank you. Thank you for being receptive, even when we come before you with fear, with shame, with desperation, and with faith no larger than a mustard seed. Thank you for hearing and responding, even when we struggle with doubt. Help us to turn to you no matter what we feel, no matter how bad we might feel, no matter how embarrassed or ashamed we are. In you and you alone do we find grace and mercy, life and peace, healing and hope. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, because you hear even our mustard seed prayers. Amen.